Law schools are closed, but possibly reopening. Dean Hari Asofsky of Penn State Law fills us in. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Dean. How are things going in Pennsylvania? Well, obviously, a lot of people are impacted by this public health crisis in Pennsylvania, but I've just been so moved at all the ways our community has been coming together. And here in State College, our community goes to green in the Pennsylvania red, yellow, green COVID color scheme tomorrow. So there's a lot of anticipation around that. Oh, wow. Glad to hear that. So green's good, though, right? That's good as far as uh, reopenings? Yes. So um, green is sort of the new normal of reopening. There's still a fair number of restrictions involved with green, but it um, it's a big step forward. Um, and it's based on Pennsylvania's health-based standards of not having more than 50 cases per 100,000 people in two weeks. Well, it sounds like a silver lining there. So I'm glad to hear it. Yes. You know, we're, we're really pleased to see the progress that's been going on in, in addressing this disease. Well, thank you so much for coming on with this, Dean. And we wanted to be, we've been wanting to catch up with academia since the COVID-19 crisis began as our country muddles through this uh, pandemic. And so, you know, to date, you know, our network has pivoted and we've covered stories of lawyers and law firms adjusting to the new normal. And we've also heard from law students on our ABA Law Student Podcast, our student hosts, our student producers sharing some of their tales of uh, remote final examinations and uh, virtual graduations. But, you know, we just haven't had the opportunity to catch up with law school leadership. And I thought this would be a great time to do it because, you know, very soon law schools and other institutions are going to start having to make that decision whether or not to open in the fall. And I just think it's such a journey that's worth sharing, you know, kind of all the things that everybody went through. So this timeline and and the challenges. So Dean, if you don't mind, I'd like to uh, open up the question, you know, when government started shutting down, what were some of your first steps that you and your administration had to take to react to that? Well, I feel tremendously lucky to be at a university that took a very proactive response and a thoughtful science-based approach um, from the beginning. So our university leadership set up 12 task forces by early February to start thinking about all of this um, and actually has added another three. So we're now at 15. And uh, the law school and School of International Affairs, which I'm dean of, created task forces, um, a response team internal to our unit at sort of end of February, beginning of March. And so we had already spent a lot of time thinking about how we would handle a pivot um, to remote instruction and telecommuting if it needed to happen by the time Penn State made the final decision in the middle of spring break to do that, which was a few days ahead of when the shutdown happened in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. So it sounds like you all were ahead of the curve on that one and uh, were ready to go. Uh, What were some of the biggest challenges going remote in that learning environment? So we were really lucky at Penn State Law by actually our history building resources and IT team. So Penn State Law used to be part of a two-campus law school, and now Penn State has two law schools. And so it, it most of its faculty had experience already in doing some form of remote instruction. Obviously, it's completely different doing it the way we did it this spring. But because of that, we have really advanced resources in our building, but also an extremely well-trained IT team. And so our IT team, by the time we got noticed four days ahead of the pivot, 
And by the time we were coming back remote the day after spring break, our IT team had embedded um, Zoom links in the Canvas pages for each course. And so we were really able to hit the ground running, not missing a single class with very strong attendance uh, when we had to pivot. Similarly, within um, a few days, we, we had gotten down by Monday to very few staff in the building. And by probably the end of that week, we had gotten down to every single person remote. Well, that sounds like uh, you mobilized pretty quickly. So great, great. So I know this is on my mind during law school. And, uh, you know, you go in with one set of expectations as a student. And, uh, you know, obviously all the rules out the window if you're having to work remote and, you know, the university and the law school need to adjust as they uh, as they need to do. But how did uh, were your grading policies impacted? And if so, what kind of changes did you make? So I thought it was extremely important for us to have an inclusive process for figuring out what to do about grading policies. So in addition to using our regular faculty governance processes through our curriculum committee, um, I work very closely with our student bar association leadership to include the students in the decision making. So that leadership um, surveyed the students, students participated in the information and listening session, sent us a lot of individual emails, and then participated on the curriculum committee and at the faculty meeting. And that student input was incredibly influential in the decision that Penn State Law made to go mandatory credit, no credit. What we realized was that There was no ideal solution in this very challenging situation. But what we wanted to do, you know, at Penn State, we we like to talk about we are, which is about our our sense of inclusive community. And um, it's really about making sure that we're protective of every member of our community. And so we felt like for the most severely impacted students, and we had some really severely impacted students, um, if we had an optional grading policy, it would make them have to make hard choices. And so we ended up deciding to do a mandatory credit, no credit as, as the most protective approach to our most vulnerable and impacted students. Yeah, I'm sure it's challenging. I mean, I, you know, people learn in different ways and some people are more visual, more hands-on. They need that physical space. So uh, I think that that was probably uh, useful, certainly in terms of trying to cover for all of that. But how about the finals? You know, I know I took some take-home finals when I was in law school and I don't think I ever did a remotely proctored one. So what was that? What was the solution there? So, um, yeah, we did remote exams, just like everything else. You know, of course, one of the challenges of remote exams is is they are harder to proctor. And, you know, we worked very closely with each faculty member, our IT team and our academic affairs team, to try to come up with whatever pivot was needed in their originally planned exam for that remote format and to have it go as well as possible. We kept exam, just like we kept classes at their usual time, we kept the exam schedule the same. You know, when I was in law school, students would struggle with grades sometimes, and they would struggle with finances, and unfortunately, sometimes they would struggle with uh, mental health. And I know that the university is a big resource for students while they're there on campus, but now that they can't really be on campus, what programs were you able to keep in place to help students that were maybe struggling with this difficult time? Yeah, so that was a really important priority for us from the start. Um, and I think underneath that is is the need to have really strong communication in your community. So in addition to a lot of email sharing resources, so Penn State, for example, we, we had worked out my first year as dean to have um, what's known as CAPS chat and a, a sort of counseling service in the building. And so we can... that 
TAPS continued to provide remote services, but there were all sorts of different kinds of mental health and wellness resources that were being developed. And we, we've sent very regular emails to our students with those resources, but I also felt like it was important to do weekly information and listening sessions throughout that semester, separately with faculty, students, and staff, because they had different needs. And part of the importance of those sessions was to listen to what the problems were and see if we could address them. So for example, we had some students who had trouble with Wi-Fi access, and we were working with them on that. We also had students who were really facing significant financial exigency, and Penn State created a student emergency fund that our students could apply to, but we also developed a Penn State law student emergency fund to complement the university one, and we're very, um, you know, I, I, I need to give a shout out to Access Lex here, which started off all law schools really um, in such a generous way with its $25,000 donation. But so we've been fundraising um, from our alumni and, um, and actually our students um, gave the very first Penn State Law class gift ever to support that student support fund. Um, our student bar association developed an emergency food bank. So, you know, one of the things that was so wonderful to see in our community was the way in which people just stepped up to support each other. So there was the centralized things that we were doing to really make sure that we were hearing what people's needs were and doing everything we could to support them. But it also, there was a whole community of people trying to do that for each other. Well, so we just have a, a minute or two here left for our interview time together there, Dean. Uh, but I do have two really important questions to ask you about going forward. And so as the university considers a reopening date coming up, possibly the fall, maybe not, uh, what are some of the factors that you're looking for uh, to make sure that all bases are covered and that it's a safe place to come back to? So one of the things that I have been so grateful for and proud of has been the approach that, that our university has, has taken to this decision-making. Um, President Barron has been consistent in saying that Penn State's going to make a decision on June 15th, whether to have in-person instruction in the fall or not, and that it's going to make a science-based decision. And so we have teams hard at work looking at what would be involved from a public health perspective. Penn State's already invested in 500,000 masks and 2,500 sanitizing stations, for example. It also has teams looking at return to work and return to campus and community. And so, and then internal to the law school, I've created teaching opportunities and work opportunities team that build on our original response team to think both about what we can learn from the spring and how we can most effectively plan for the different scenarios of the fall. So my last question for you, Dean, um, you know, I think everybody's learned a lesson or two uh, during this experience as we've all kind of made our journeys through this uh, worldwide pandemic. I know our organization has learned a few things that we're going to take with us and apply to the future. So I guess my last question, what I'd like to close it out on is what did your administration learn from this experience and how will you apply that going forward as it pertains to improving legal education? So as we've talked about before, Lawrence, I happen to believe we're at a moment of immense social change in which technology and globalization and the need for cross-cutting knowledge is foundationally changing the practice of law, who needs legal services and information, and, and COVID has simply accelerated all of that. And so I think the biggest thing that's coming out of all of this is, is real opportunities for innovation as law schools and professional organizations are collaborating in a way that they never have before. And we've all been experimenting in ways that we never have before. I think we have real opportunities to think about how we use technology to serve our students and to bridge the profound access to justice gap. And so 
you know, just to, you know, we've, we had clinics, for example, pivot to help um, struggling businesses or the changing immigration law in, in COVID. And one of the things we're thinking about for the fall is um, we were going to do a pilot in our legal tech virtual lab around immersive technology. We're now thinking about what would it mean to do remote immersive technology to add to the in-person part you know, so I think there are all sorts of, you know, or a remote collaboratory space to complement an in-person one. So I think there are all sorts of really exciting opportunities for innovation and learning and collaboration that come out of our work together as a community on this crisis. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dina Sofsky. And if our listeners, they want to reach out or maybe they want to talk to you about attending Penn State Law, how can they find you? My email is hmo8 at psu.edu. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Clitty. This has been Legal Talk Today. 